Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays on the first week of the NCAA tournament. March Madness is officially here. Ohio State is headed to Pittsburgh, where the Buckeyes will play their first game of the NCAA tournament. And we'll see if it's their last game against Loyola on Friday at 12.15 p.m. on CBS. Ohio State earning a seven seed in the NCAA tournament after an uninspiring stretch, to say the least, to finish out the year. Ohio State losing four of its last five games going into the NCAA tournament, including its one and only game in the Big Ten tournament as the Buckeyes were upset by Penn State in a second round game in Indianapolis. So a big week ahead for the Buckeyes. You know, this is what it all leads up to. This is where, you know, all the questions about can Chris Holtman win in March with the season on the line? Uh, this is what it all comes down to now. And a game that I think is going to be a challenging first game for Ohio State. You know, not quite the same situation as last year when it was a, a two versus 15. But yet again, Ohio State going against a mid-major team that looks like a dangerous opponent, Ohio State, the seed line favorite, but not even necessarily a uh, betting favorite. The last I saw, I think Ohio State is a one-point favorite over Loyola, but Loyola was at one point a one-point favorite over Ohio State. And so this is a game where I think a lot of people are going to be picking a Loyola upset over Ohio State Griffin, what are your vibes going into this game? Well, first of all, Dan, it must be mid-March because I think for the first time ever since I've been on staff at 11 Warriors, we're starting off this podcast with Buckeye basketball for one. So, you know, everything's ramping up here in the basketball season. Ohio State, of course, seven seed going up against number 10 Loyola, which is particularly dangerous because the last several seasons, we've seen a couple of deep runs in the NCAA tournament by the Ramblers here. Last year, of course, they went to the Sweet 16. They knocked off a number one seed in Illinois, another Big Ten team, of course, to get there before losing to, I think, to Oregon State, I believe. Uh, They also, uh, a few years before that, actually went to the Final Four, and and one of the key players on that team is actually still on the team now, and Lucas Williamson at guard, the two-time reigning MVC Defensive Player of the Year, and he's you know pretty much the the best player on this Loyola team and is going to have a a lot to do with Loyola's success if they can mount another deep run in the NCAA tournament. But like you said, not even a lot of Buckeye fans are, are all that confident in Ohio State right now because I think we, we ran a poll on the site the other day saying, you know, how many games will Ohio State win in the NCAA tournament? And the majority of the voters at the time that I looked at it, I think like 53% said that Ohio State was not going to win a single game in the NCAA tournament. And it's easy to see why the the confidence among Buckeye fans is kind of corroded here as of late because the Buckeyes have lost four out of five. They obviously lost the first game in the Big Ten tournament. I think a lot of us thought they were going to win that one, given that they had beat Penn State two times in a row in the, in the regular season. And now the question kind of remains, what what's the, the situation with, with the health of Kyle Young, Zed Key? Neither of them played in the Big Ten tournament. Will they have those guys back? How much of a factor will that play? And will the Buckeyes at least be able to get one more win here if not more than that, but you know, maybe at least one get past the first round potentially to kind of salvage some of the season here late. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week. Like Ohio State 
should win at least one game in the Big Ten tournament, right? So the fact that uh, it didn't uh, certainly led to uh, some of the pessimism surrounding this team right now and around Chris Holtman and, you know, we'll get into that into a, a little bit, but, you know, going into this matchup, I think it is a dangerous matchup in many ways. I mean, you look at Loyola, they are a, a top 20 defensive team. Uh, Ohio State and Loyola have actually both averaged the same exact number of points per game, but uh, Loyola has been uh, significantly better, at least statistically, on the defensive end. Like you mentioned, uh, Lucas Williamson, a guy who's a really key player for them, I think he's scoring 14 points per game, and, and he's going to be a big threat at guard. Also, Braden Norris, who's a, a Hilliard, Ohio native from uh, Hilliard Bradley. He's another uh, key player for the Ramblers at, at point guard. Uh, Tony Skin, the Ohio State assistant coach, uh, compared him to Brad Davison from Wisconsin the other day, and uh, he's a guy who's become a really good player for them. So you know they've got a strong backcourt, and we've seen Ohio State really struggle to defend guards in recent games. And so I think you know that right there stands out as a red flag. I think you also look at you know these are two teams that are coming into this thing in, in, with different momentum. I mean. Loyola is a team that just won the Missouri Valley Tournament Championship. They've won seven of their last five games. As, as we just mentioned with Ohio State, Ohio State has lost four of its last five. So, you know, it looks like two teams that are going in, in different directions here. And then, like you said, when Loyola, they've done this before. I mean, the last, they've been to the NCAA tournament twice in the last four years, and both times they've won at least two games. And so, you know, this is a team that's shown it can pull off upsets. It it can step up and deliver in March. Now, they don't have the same coach they did for those two previous runs. Porter Moser, he's now at Oklahoma. Uh, their new head coach, Drew Valentine, uh, the older brother of former Michigan State star Denzel Valentine, he's actually the youngest coach in all of Division One. So this will be his first time uh, going into the NCAA tournament as a head coach. Now, he was an assistant coach, for those other two teams. So he's, he's been a part of these runs and he, he knows what it takes to, you know, go on one of those runs uh, at Loyola, but you know, it'll be his first time actually leading them in, into this situation. And so that's a bit of a change. Now, if it's also, you know, you, you looked at Loyola last year, their star was Cameron Crutwig, uh, their center, you know, six nine two fifty five. He was, uh, you know, a terrific center for them who was really key to their NCAA tournament run. They don't have a guy like that this year. They really don't have much size at all. They they don't have anybody taller than six foot seven who's played more than 20 plus minutes or games. So I think, you know, that's one area. If Kyle Young and Zed Key are back, or even one of them is back, that could potentially be an area where Ohio State can exploit. If those guys aren't back, then probably not. But, you know, if they have those guys back, you know, that Ohio State should at least have an advantage in, in rebounding. I also think that, you know, even if those guys aren't playing that, I don't know if there's anybody on Loyola that can consistently defend DJ Liddell. And so I think, you know, that's where, that's where Ohio state really should have the advantage. They should have the advantage inside. They, they should have the advantage on the glass because Loyola has not been a very good rebounding team this year. So, you know, I think that's where you look at it on paper where Ohio state should have the edge and, you know, also for Loyola, they've only beaten one team all year that's in the NCAA tournament. That's San Francisco. So, you know, this isn't a team that 
uh, this is a team that's had a lot of success this year, but they haven't uh, proven it against teams of Ohio State's caliber. And so it's one of those games where it's like, it's almost hard to tell like whether this is a game Ohio State should win or not. Like I feel like on paper, logically, it is a game that Ohio State should win, yet there's certainly a vibe going into this game even among Ohio state fans, like you said, that seem to think that this is a game Loyola is going to win. Yeah. I, I, I think it definitely is in the category of a game that Ohio state should win, but it's, it's everything that we just kind of talked about the, the way both teams are trending right now, Ohio state is trending down. They've lost four out of five. Um, Loyola just won their conference tournament championship, of course. And then you look at the postseason results, the past two seasons in the NCAA tournament, Ohio state got upset in the first round. So people are still, that's still fresh on many people's minds. The fact that Ohio State came in and lost to a 15 seed, whereas Loyola, it's still very fresh on everybody's mind. Sister Jean and everything like that, that, you know, Loyola has a penchant for making these deep postseason runs. I think another wrinkle we haven't gotten into that much yet, Dan, is the experience differential, which is something that I'm, I'm kind of diving into right now for a piece. And you think with Ohio State having, you know, nine seniors on the roster, oh, the Buckeyes have all this experience and whatnot. But, Dan, they really don't at all because uh, – what, what's the number here? Of the 15 players on Ohio State's roster, seven never actually played an NCAA tournament game at all. All three of the first-year grad transfer additions for Ohio State, talking about Joey Brunk, Jamari Wheeler, and Cedric Russell, none of them have even played in an NCAA tournament game before. Only two players for Ohio State have played in more than one NCAA tournament game. That's Kyle Young and Justin Arns. One of those games for Arns, he played about one minute. And for Kyle Young, he didn't even play in last year's NCAA tournament because, of course, he was dealing with concussion issues at that time, which which means that EJ Liddell, having played in exactly one NCAA tournament game in his career, is Ohio State's leader in experience in that category with, with just 39 minutes played against Oral Roberts. For Loyola, six, six players for Loyola have played more minutes in the NCAA tournament than any Buckeye has. Eight members of this year's team have returned played in last year's NCAA tournament run and seven Ramblers have at least three games of NCAA tournament experience, which is more than any Buckeye has. Cause again, only two players for Ohio state have even played in more than one NCAA tournament game. And of course, a lot of that has to do with the, the fact that the 2020 tournament was canceled due to COVID Ohio state, of course would have made the tournament that year, but it still kind of begs the question, what, what level of experience is Ohio state coming in? Is that going to be a factor at all? Cause you know, maybe that won't be a factor at all, but, Chris Holman did say on the radio on Monday that there, there could be some nerves involved for a lot of guys, especially maybe some of those older guys whose, whose last chance this is to play on that stage and it also being their first time ever playing on that stage. So that's kind of another wrinkle to factor in here when you're breaking things down in this matchup. Yeah, that's noteworthy. And, you know, certainly this is a team who's seen it in some of the past couple of games of Ohio State where, you know, they seem to, they can start strong and then they tighten up in the second half and all of a sudden, you know, things fall apart. So I think that's probably something you'd worry about in, in this setting as well. If you have a lot of guys without any NCAA tournament experience, uh, is that going to lead to some of what we've seen in recent games where, you know, the team tightens up, they, they go cold and they allow the other team to take control of the game. And so Dan, a, a big, you know, talking point around this team right now is of course, Chris Holtman, because as you, as you would know, if you're a Buckeye fan that's been on Twitter and, and kind of looking at things like that, I know from my mentions in particular, there's a lot of talk of, you know, we get the fire Holtman all the time, every time Ohio State's lost a game recently. And, you know, you know what do we kind of make of 
Chris Holman's situation here. Should he be on the hot seat if Ohio State loses in the first round? Will he be on the hot seat if Ohio State loses to Loyola? What are your thoughts on that topic, Dan? Well, I think those are two different questions. I think, will Chris Holtman be on the hot seat if Ohio State lose in the first round? I think that's unlikely. I mean, Gene Smith just had a tweet on Monday. Uh, he actually quote tweeted a column that uh, Doug Maurice wrote for Cleveland.com, which I thought was a, a good column that Doug wrote that, uh, you know, basically made the point that if you look back, if if in, if you include the teams that would have made the tournament in the year that it was canceled in 2020, Ohio State would be one of only eight teams that's made five straight tournaments. And so that is a notable accomplishment. That is something that I think, uh, you know, Chris Holtman uh, certainly wants people to know and anybody who's defending Chris Holtman wants him, wants to be known. And, you know, I think that is, I think that is notable. I mean, I think the fact that Ohio state has consistently been a tournament team when that is a really hard thing to be, uh, that, that is a notable thing. And, and, uh, you know, Gene quote tweeted that article and, and his quote was our program and the men in it are in great hands of Chris Holtman. Let quote the dance begin. So I don't think Gene's tweeting that if, He's about to fire Chris Holtman this weekend if if Ohio State loses on Friday. I think I think that right there is Gene trying to get out ahead of what could come this weekend and make it clear that he's still behind Chris Holtman. So I don't think no matter what happens on Friday, I don't think there's any chance Chris Holtman is going to be on the hot seat this year. He has a top five recruiting class coming in next year. I think he's going to get at least one more year at Ohio state uh, to prove, you know, what, what he can do regardless of what happens this weekend. With that being said, if they lose in the first round, I think the should Chris Holtman be on the hot seat. I think that becomes a fair question because Doug also made the point in that same column that yeah, Ohio state would have made eight or five straight tournaments would have been one of only eight teams to do that. But if you compare them to the other seven teams, all of those other seven teams have had success in the tournament. Ohio state has won two games in the tournament in that span. Ohio state has not made the second weekend under Chris Holtman. And so, you know, I, I think it, it's great that you're making it every year, but at some point you've got to get over that hump. And, you know, this, again, this can be more of a discussion for next week when we find out if, they actually did make it to the second weekend or if they didn't. So I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on, on that, but, you know, just in terms of, you know, I know there's, there's been a lot of think pieces already written this week and I'm sure there's going to be more depending on uh, whatever happens this weekend about, you know, what this, you know, first round game should mean to Chris Holtman and if it should be a, you know, quote must win game for him and whatnot. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, I think Chris Holtman should be fired if they, if they lose on Friday. That's not the way I feel. But I also think I think the heat is warranted from Ohio State fans if Ohio State loses on Friday. If, if Ohio State finishes the year losing five out of its last six games, not not even reaching 20 wins, and and losing 
to a mid-major double-digit seed for the second year in a row in the first round, I think the heat is warranted. And I think, too, you know, I, I think the thing about this year is I think, you know, there is one valid excuse that has been made and is going to continue to be made if if they lose this weekend, and that's injuries. I mean, they just they lost Justice Suing for the whole year. They lost Seth Towns for the whole year. Kyle Young and Zed Key have both been hurt down the stretch, and all and all those things have, have hurt this team. And so, I think that's valid. I also think this is a team that has two first round picks in EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham, and nine seniors. And so, to me, when you have that, this is a team that's supposed to win. This is a team that's supposed to be able to make some noise in March. You know, I think this idea of, oh, well, well, next year they've got this great recruiting class coming in. They do, but I can't sit here and tell you that I think they're going to be better next year than they are this year. I mean, especially if Malachi leaves, which we'll find out, you know, at some point here uh, after the tournament's over, whether he's going to stay for another year or go to the NBA. But, you know, if they were to lose, Malachi, I mean, they could have massive roster turnover next year. And so to me, when you have the talent you have this year, you're supposed to be able to win with this talent. And so I don't know if it's going to happen this weekend, but I I do think it's, it's fair without question for the expectation to be to at least win one game this weekend. And, you know, I, I mean, I had said all year long to me, I thought, you know, sweet 16, should be the expectation for this team. I think it's going to be difficult now that they're a seven seed in the tournament, but, you know, I think, you know, to me, if, you know, if, 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 if when we do this podcast next week, if we're talking about an Ohio state team, that's still playing basketball, then at that point, the NCAA tournament will have already been a success. It will, Chris Holtman will have already gone farther in the tournament than he yet has yet as Ohio state's coach and we won't be having this conversation. If Ohio State loses this weekend, then we're probably going to be having this conversation again next week. Yeah, I think at least one win will do a lot just to at least meet expectations. But I think also a big part of getting that first win will be the health status of Zed Key and Kyle Young, as we've kind of alluded to before. I personally think that that's going to be a very key and major storyline going into this game because Chris Holman said that if Ohio State was playing in one of those first four games going on earlier in the week, that things would not be looking good maybe for those two guys. He didn't get into specifics there on maybe who would or wouldn't be able to go. But he said that the health situation might not be looking good and that basically any extra day they can get to play and just the fact that they're not playing on Thursday but playing on Friday is going to help them out with getting those two guys. Because you alluded to the injury situations before, and I know a lot of bloodthirsty Ohio State fans are not going to want to hear this excuse like thrown in their face if Ohio State were to lose their first game in the tournament. But Chris Holman said it all year. Two of their top eight players basically haven't played all season with uh, obviously Justice Suing and Seth Towns. And now two guys that are among their top six players, I would say, and Zed Key and Kyle Young are both kind of questionable as of a couple of days before the game. So that's four guys that are very could have been very real contributors for this team. And of course, some of them are at the moment anyway. And especially, I think we talked about Loyola's roster build and the fact that they don't have any 
anybody above six, seven that plays really significant minutes for them. I mean, having a guy, a, a six, two, six, eight guys in Kyle Young and Zed key, that could be huge for house eight to, to actually take advantage of that, that size edge they'll have, which they, they don't typically have that. And they, they still fare decently well a lot of times when they don't, but in a game where they could potentially use that to their benefit and, and beat a team up inside, I think having those two guys relatively healthy and ready to go, at least one of those two guys will, will definitely be crucial for Ohio State to get a win. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's crucial because you know, I think we've seen them. I and I think, you know, Joey Brunk has done some good things, but they're not the same team without Zed Key and Kyle Young out there. I mean, they basically, I mean, in, in the game against Penn State, I mean, basically their front court depth was Brown and Liddell. I mean, they had Eugene Brown, who's a wing. He was playing before and was even playing the five at some points because they were so decimated on depth there in the front court. So it's absolutely a valid thing that's, that's affecting this team. And I do think their chances of winning are going to depend substantially on where those guys are available. I think if they're both available, that significantly increases Ohio State's chance of winning. I think if Niver's available, that significantly decreases Ohio State's chance of winning. And I know Chris Holtman will be speaking very shortly after this podcast drops on Wednesday. And so we may get some more clarity then. By the time you're listening to this, there may already be more clarity on whether Zed Key and Kyle Young will play. But the way they talked, the way Holtman talked earlier in the week, it sounds like it's far from a sure thing that either of those guys is going to play. And so uh, I think that's absolutely a big storyline going into this game and, and a valid one. That said, I, I do think it's fair for Ohio State fans to expect Ohio State to be able to beat Loyola, even if they have guys hurt. I think that's, I think that's a fair expectation. And I know, you know, some people probably think I've defended Holtman too much, but I mean, it, I, I do think it's fair that Ohio State fans should expect a win over Loyola, regardless of who's hurt. I think, you know, there, there's a talent advantage that Ohio State's going to have even if those guys aren't out there. And so I think, you know, this is a game that regardless of who's healthy and whatnot, I mean, I'm assuming each of the Malachi Brandon are going to be healthy. You know, I, I, this is a game that Ohio State should be able to win. Whether it will, I, I, I can't say that I'm confident that Ohio State will win this game. But I do think it's fair to say this is a game that Ohio State should win even if they're missing a couple key players. Dan, let, let's, uh, th- this is a dangerous game we're going to play here because we obviously saw what happened last year in the first round of the tournament. But let's just, let's peer down the line to a potential Sunday matchup that Ohio State could have if they do get past the Ramblers, which we're going to assume that that would be a matchup with the number two seed Villanova in the South region. They play Delaware in the first round. They're going to be a, a heavy favorite in that one. And the matchup with Villanova, we obviously saw Ohio State beat Villanova a couple of years ago at home, but it's a very different team now. Villanova under Jay Wright, a top 30 defensive team this season, rated, rated by Kempom as the eighth most efficient offense as well. Very high-powered offense, has won 10 of their last 11 games. They won the Big, Big East Tournament Championship. And the, the first kind of person you have to talk to with about that, that Villanova team is the two-time reigning Big East Player of the Year. He was, I think he shared the award with like th- two other guys a season ago. This year, he was the the outright winner of that award, Colin Gillespie. 
averaging something like 15, close to 16 points a game, I believe, for him uh, at guard. Also at guard for Villanova, you have Justin Moore, who, who averages 15 a game as well. Um, a team that I don't think Ohio State would be favored to, to, uh, to pull off that win and, and get further in the NCAA tournament, but it's certainly worth kind of looking at that team because if Ohio State does win that first-round matchup, they will have to play the Wildcats just a couple of days later. Yeah, and, and certainly, um, you know, that, that's going to be a tough matchup if it comes to that. I mean, certainly a game that Ohio State uh, will be an underdog in if it comes to that, you know, like you mentioned, you know, led by Colin Gillespie, the Villanova team that's also really good on, on defense. They're ranked in the top 30 in points allowed per game. They're also rated by Ken Palm as the eighth most efficient offense in the country. They've won 10 of their last 11 games, including the Big East Tournament Championship. Uh, they've got Two 15-point scores, Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore. Another two 10-point scores, Jermaine Samuels and Caleb Daniels. And another two nine-point scores, Brandon Slater and Eric Dixon. Dixon. So they've got a really strong core of six guys who can all you know score to basketball and have big games. I think if you're looking for where Villanova could be beatable, it's basically just those six guys for Villanova. They have no one else who's averaged more than two points per game. So their depth is limited. And again, they don't have a ton of size. They don't have anyone over six, eight who plays regularly. So I think again, if, if we project forward and we project forward to this possible game, because it would be before our next podcast in that game, absolutely the health of Kyle Young and Zed Key, I think, would make a massive difference on whether Ohio State has a chance to beat Villanova. And I don't rule it out. I mean, I think if Ohio State can beat Loyola, I don't, I don't rule out anything after that. You know, once you get some momentum going, you know, I think if 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 they can play well in that first game and you know get some momentum back on their side, I don't rule out the possibility that they could upset Villanova. And, and get to the sweet 16. I'm again, I'm not predicting it, but I think, I think it is possible, you know, if Ohio state can get back to playing, you know, at their best, but we've seen them play at times, just not consistently. Then I don't think a run to the sweet 16 this weekend is out of the question. Obviously right now, all the focus needs to just be on beating Loyola because that is extremely far from a given. And, the talk about where they can beat Villanova isn't going to matter if, if they don't beat Loyola on, on Friday. But, you know, I, I do, there's certain matchups that I would look at and say, man, if Ohio state's playing them in the second round, I really wouldn't like Ohio state's chances. When I still get Villanova, I mean, I think Villanova is a better team. I think their, their, their record and their, you know, statistics would, would indicate that, but I don't look at that as like, an unwinnable game for Ohio state. I think if Ohio state can get healthy here and put it all together, a sweet 16 run is possible. I mean, I, I don't know what I'd set the odds at, you know, maybe 20% that they, that they're playing next week, but I don't rule it out. And listen, I think an under, I think an under talked about storyline with this Ohio state team as of late, because they've lost all these games in a row is that Joey Brunk emerging as a, as a legitimate contributor for the team kind of allows them to, to maybe do some different things if they can get Zed Key and Kyle Young back, especially in some of these matchups with teams that aren't as big. Obviously, in the, the Penn State game, Penn State's not a very big team either. They do have uh, John Harar, of course, like 6'10", something like that. 
who did uh, you know give the team a little bit of trouble there late in the game. But I think Joey Brunk not having to play 30 minutes, but maybe but 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 still playing considerably more than he had to that point up until he he was inserted into the starting lineup here, maybe gives Ohio State some some different looks and different options where they can take advantage of, of some of that size inside because Brunk has now had what three pretty impressive performances in a row. I think he had 10 points against Penn State, obviously had that 18 point game a couple of games before that, and, and eight points against Michigan. Uh, you know, Brunk and, Brunk and Zed Key in the low post, both of those guys can do some some dangerous things there against teams that might not be prepared for that level of size. So that'll be something to watch as well for this Ohio State team and maybe maybe a key to, to their success. But yeah, I, I think for sure a, a sweet 16 run, that would be a that, that would be for me going ab- above the expectations. That would be maybe that was something I think going into the season that a lot of people would probably have said as okay, can this be the first Ohio State team under Holman to get two wins in the tournament, get to the sweet 16? I would certainly not favor them to do so. But like you said, we've seen this Ohio State team reach some peaks before and beat teams that we didn't think they were going to beat. They have some very nice wins, you know, on their resume. Can they put together a couple of those performances here in the NCAA tournament? I'm not going to put it past them, but right now I would be surprised if they were to win that second game. Should they beat Loyola? I, I would not, you know, personally think they would beat Villanova. But we've seen much crazier things happen, of course, in uh, March Madness. So what do you think if, if if Ohio State beats Loyola and then loses to Villanova? Like, what do you feel like the vibe will be then? Because I think, you know, we can all agree if Ohio State loses to Loyola on Friday, that's undeniably a disappointment. And there's going to be a bad taste in everybody's mouth the way this season ended. If Ohio State makes the Sweet 16, then no matter what happens from there, Nobody rational or reasonable is having the fire Holtman conversation if Ohio State makes the Sweet 16. If Ohio State makes the Sweet 16, that would be clear progress from where the program has been before. And I think at that point, it's a successful season no matter what happens beyond that. But if Ohio State beats Loyola and loses to Villanova, which again, I think, I mean, on paper, that's like what should happen. You know, I, 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 I don't, I don't necessarily know. I mean, I guess we'll just kind of have to see, but I don't, I don't necessarily know like what the vibe would be coming out of that. Like, I think right now it's probably, you know, would be the reasonable expectation, but I also think, you know, when you think about the fact that, you know, a, a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, I mean, we were talking about this Ohio state team being a team that had a chance to win a regular season, big 10 title. I mean, this, this was an Ohio state team that was very much in a running for a top four seed in the tournament just a few weeks ago, and they ended up as a number seven. And so I I think if they win one and then lose to Villanova, I mean, that would be an unsurprising outcome, but I still feel like there's probably going to be kind of a, a dissatisfaction with that. What do you think? Oh, I think so as well. I think we'll still see a lot of people kind of, not very high on Chris Holman as far as Buckeye fans go, but I also think that the what actually happens in the game will have a lot to do with that as well. Because what if Ohio State's up double digits in the second half on Villanova and you know squanders that lead late like we've seen them do a few times here recently? I think people are going to be pretty mad if that happens. But you know if Ohio State comes back and makes a late push or, or pushes Villanova to overtime or something like that, then it could be okay. You know Ohio State advanced past where they did in the NCAA tournament a year ago against potentially a better team, maybe even maybe not because Oral Roberts has, you know, proved that, that team proved to be pretty talented, but 
yeah, it, it's, it's kind of hard to parse. I think we're going to have to wait and see exactly what happens in that matchup. Should Ohio State even get to that point? And, and that will that might say a lot. And especially, you know, who's available for Ohio State? Are they still playing without Key and Young at, at that point? I think that'll all factor into kind of what the what the rational response should be after that. Let's zoom out a little bit and look at the bracket as a whole. There's nine Big Ten teams in the field this year, three more than any other conference, but none of them are ranked higher than a free seed. And obviously, we think back to last year's tournament. I mean, last year, I think the Big Ten set a record for having the most teams in the tournament and then really laid an egg. A lot of teams, not just Ohio State, just a lot of teams throughout the conference did not perform up to their seed line expectations. And so as we go into this year's tournament, Griffin, do you think we see a repeat of last year where maybe the Big Ten proves to be a little bit overrated again? Or do you think the Big Ten bounces back and we see a couple teams in the conference make deep runs? Well, I think it's different because last year there was so much talk about this Big Ten conference could be the the greatest you know year of conference in the history of college basketball. This said, and there were so many top-heavy you know teams you thought could legitimately make very deep runs. This year, though. Like you said, there, there, there's no team rated higher than what the, the third seed. So, you know, they're they're lower down now, you know, across the board in terms of this year, some teams might make deeper runs than you're even expecting, you know, as far as Big Ten teams go. There's not as quite as much pressure on these teams to to reach a final four just in terms of the seed line and everything like that. And so, yeah, I, I think maybe this year Ohio State could perform better just, just based on that, the fact that, you know, th- these teams, they're, they're slightly lower seeded. There's, there's not coming up with, coming in with quite as much expectations as last year, even though there's still obviously nine teams and that's going to garner a lot of attention about the big 10 being the best conference. But I certainly think that some big 10 teams are going to have to perform in order for the, the hype about the big 10 and how deep it is to, to kind of continue year by year, because you can't have a, a conference underperform like it did last year again and again, and still be heralded in the same way that the big 10 has in these last few years. Yeah. Last year, uh, like this year, Big Ten had nine teams in the tournament, two one seeds, two two seeds, one of which was Ohio State, of course, in a four seed, and only one team, Michigan, made the Sweet 16 out of a Big Ten. So that was certainly an underwhelming year for the Big Ten. I'm going to be honest, I, I kind of see it similar this year. I, I'm looking at my bracket that I've filled out right now. I only have two Big Ten teams in the Sweet 16, but I do have one Big Ten team in my Final Four. Can you guess which team? Are you going to go with the red-hot Keegan Murray-led Iowa Hawkeyes making a surprise run all the way to the Final Four? That was a good guess. You you are right on. I do have Iowa in my Final Four. I, I also have Wisconsin in the Sweet 16. I have every other Big Ten team losing no later than the second round. Wow. Yeah, I've actually got a... So for me, I think the the most disappointing Big Ten team might be Illinois once again, just because I have Illinois losing in the in the second round. And that's a team where they're, they're not seated as high as they were last season, of course, where they still have Kofi Coburn and a lot of really good pieces. Obviously, Coburn, we found out today, is a first-team All-American. I don't know. that I've, I, don't, I, I just can't trust Illinois, and I think they're going to end up you know, getting upset here again, even though it won't be, you know, that huge of an upset in the second round to Houston. But as far as the team that I've got going furthest out of the big 10 group, even though we've seen them stumble here at the end of the season, 
I still love Purdue's roster. I mean, just the, the talent they have in the inside and out. Jaden Ivey, Zach Eady, and you have Travion Williams coming off the bench as a guy that can you know pass the ball and, and operate in the low post at such a high capacity. I just love Purdue's roster so much that I just believe if they can put it all together, that they can make a run. And, I, and I've got them going to the final four, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I think Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten on paper. But I typically just pick with my gut when it comes to the NCAA tournament. And my gut really likes Virginia Tech right now with with, uh, the run that they made in the ACC tournament. And we've seen Purdue underperform in in some of these uh, recent tournaments when they've been highly seeded in the past. And so I have Purdue losing to Virginia Tech in the second round of a tournament. I I think that's a tough – I think Purdue's in a tough bracket there. I mean, I think – you know, I mean, even if you look at if they get past that, I mean, they've got a potential matchup with Kentucky in the Sweet 16. I think uh, even you've got potentially uh, Baylor or UCLA in the Elite Eight. And so I think they certainly have the talent to do it. I mean, they certainly should be capable of making that kind of run. Um, but to me, like they're, they're the team that I look at, like if I, I'm predicting the Big Ten team that might be uh, the big disappointment. I'm looking at Purdue right now just because I just don't really like uh, the matchups that they have. I, I the other the other Big Ten team that I have being upset early. I've got Davidson beating Michigan State. I've got the same thing. I've got a in terms of Davidson upsetting Michigan State in the first round. I also have obviously you said you expect Virginia Tech to to knock off Purdue um, there in what the, just the second round. I also have Virginia Tech beating Texas. Uh, Virginia Tech obviously winning the the ACC tournament and and, and coming in kind of hot. I think that'll probably be a pretty popular pick there for for an upset. Um, do you have any other huge upsets, Dan, particularly in that that first round? Uh, the biggest upset I'm going with. It, this is one of those that I've almost started to reconsider because it feels like it's too popular. That maybe it's more of a popular upset pick than it should be. But I'm going to Vermont over Arkansas. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm trying to locate that on my my bracket here. I've got I've got Michigan surviving against uh, Colorado State in the first round. Dan, what about you? I do too. I do too. I I think the NCAA tournament selection committee gave Michigan a gift. First of all, by keeping them out of the first four, which is where I thought they'd start their tournament because resume wise, you know, they they looked like a very much a bubble team. So I was a little surprised that they are not going to the first four. Uh, but I do think uh, that's a, I think that's a favorable matchup for them getting to play uh, Colorado state in Indianapolis. I think, I think they got a really good draw. So I do have Michigan winning one game. Uh, I also, I should make sure that this game is not being played before our podcast before I say anything, it's not, I've got Rutgers beating Notre Dame and beating Alabama. Wow. Look at that. Um, Dan, Dan, you, you've said now you've tipped your hand a little bit on your final four. You said I was making it all the way, right? I've got Iowa in the final four. I've got Iowa in the final four. I've also got Gonzaga, Kentucky and Arizona. I am picking Arizona to win it all with a national championship game win over Kentucky. 
Wow. I've got a couple of the same teams there. I've got Gonzaga versus Purdue, which I know you're you, that my, my bracket would be busted if your prediction there comes comes true on, on Purdue losing in the second round. That's one of those things though. Like they've had st- stumbles as of late. I would not be shocked to see them lose early, but I could also just trusting in their roster like I do, see them going on that that long run. I would have them losing though to Gonzaga. And then I would have Auburn, even though they've kind of you know fallen off a little bit uh as of late. Auburn going up against Arizona in the final four on the other side of the bracket. I've got Arizona advancing past Bruce Pearl and company to to set up a Gonzaga versus Arizona national championship game. And I've got Gonzaga breaking through Chet Holmgren and company after last year's, uh, obviously national championship game loss. They've been, you know, that, that program's been, you know, built into something special here over the last several years. And I've got Gonzaga cutting the nets in uh, new Orleans. There, a very popular, pick there i keep saying it i keep saying it like i think this is as wide open a tournament as i can remember you know we 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 can make our bracket predictions i have a feeling that in a couple weeks there's going to be some cinderella that's there playing in the final four because it just feels like that kind of tournament this year i i feel like everybody's beatable like we talked about it with like purdue but there's not really one team that i look at in this tournament and i go i'm really confident that team's making it to the final four like i i just don't think there is that dominant team this year. Like I think Gonzaga is on paper, the best team again, as they were last year, but I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Now that might not matter because I also don't think anybody else is as good as Baylor was last year. And so I, I think, you know, on paper, they're probably the smart choice picking Gonzaga uh, to win it all. But to me, this is just a, a really wide open tournament where I think we're going to see, a lot of upsets doesn't mean I pick a ton of upsets on my bracket because that's usually not the smartest strategy. But I, I do think that you know there's going to be uh, a lot of chaos as 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 usual uh, over the next uh, four days, and uh, we'll see uh, what end of that Ohio State ends up on. Whether they can uh, cause some uh, good chaos and make a run to a Sweet Sixteen, or whether uh, it will be another a disappointing early exit for the Buckeyes. Wait, Dan, that, 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 that begs the question, the elephant in the room, because I don't know if we actually addressed this on your official bracket. What do you have Ohio state doing? Do you have them making any noise or do you have a, an unceremonious exit uh, penciled in for the Buckeyes yet again? I have them losing to Loyola on my bracket. Like oh, I said, wow. I go with my gut. I go with my gut and my gut. As soon as I saw that matchup pop up on the screen was, Sister Jean's going to knock the Buckeyes out in first round. Like that's just, as soon as I saw it, like my gut reaction was immediately like, this is not good for Ohio state. And my gut's not always right. I felt the same way about that Rose bowl matchup with Utah and obviously Ohio state won that game. So my gut doesn't mean anything. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong, but yeah, I, I mean, again, I do feel like on paper, it's a game Ohio state should win. I just, you know, I think it's probably a vibe that's shared by a lot of Ohio State fans, but I just don't have a ton of optimism in, in this team, uh, you know, winning against a team like Loyola. But we'll find out on Friday. Well, then you've successfully broken the hearts of, of Buckeye fans around the world uh, listening to this right now. I've got Ohio State winning that first round matchup. I just think, you know, if, if Key or Young plays, they'll be able to figure out, you know, one more win in this season. Then I've got them dropping to, to Villanova thereafter, but I do have them surviving at least past round one. 
lots of basketball talk this week because it is NCAA tournament week and not a whole lot going on uh, in football this week. It's spring break at Ohio State. So the football team has the week off. They will reconvene for more practice next week. Also, pro day at Ohio State next week. So uh, we'll, we'll certainly have plenty of basketball talk on next week's show, but we'll have more football talk on next week's show too because there will be more actual new stuff to discuss. Uh, we did uh, talk to wide receivers and running backs on Thursday and, and can talk a little bit about that. But, you know, certainly I think the biggest news on the football front this past week was Harry Miller announcing his medical retirement and doing so uh, with a very eye-opening uh, statement that he posted on social media on, I believe, Thursday, in which he revealed that he had suicidal thoughts last year and that he told Ryan Day that he was going to kill himself. And fortunately, Ryan Day immediately got him in touch with um, two members of Ohio State's uh, you know, sports psychology team. Uh, I forget their names. I'll tell my head. I think Candace Williams, who's an athletic counselor at Ohio State, and Joshua Norman, who's a, a psychiatrist. Um, those, those two you know, worked with Harry. And, you know, fortunately, Harry says he, he is doing better now. He's decided to step away from football. You know, he dealt with some injuries in addition to the mental health stuff. And he is now, you know, focusing on everything else in his life, which, you know, he's got a lot going for him. He is a 4.0 student in the College of Engineering. Um, you know, he does a lot of great community service work uh, through his mission for Nicaragua. He's a talented musician. And so, uh, you know, I think Harry is going to be successful at, you know, whatever he does beyond football, but uh, certainly a, a stark reminder of how mental health can affect anyone because all the things I just said, all, all those things that are going well in Harry's life. And yet we learned that he was dealing with this, you know, awful pain uh, that led him um, to you know, thinking about taking his own life. And, you know, it's just, it, it's such a jarring thing uh, to read. I mean, I didn't even really know how to react when I first read it because, you know, it's such a, an eye-opening thing. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, I think it was, you know, fairly evident that something was going on behind the scenes with Harry Miller, but we didn't know about, but I, I did not know that it, it had gotten to that extent. I had no idea that it had gotten to that extent. And so to, to read, you know, that statement, um, you know, it certainly, uh, you know, moved me and, and made me, you know, take a step back. And, you know, I think again, we we've talked about this on the show before, but just another reminder of, you know, all the different things that these athletes have to deal with that we don't necessarily see. We, we see them play on the field. We, we don't see all the things that are going on in their lives when they're not on the field. And, you know, I, I hope that this will remind people about the fact that these athletes, they're not just people who put on a jersey and a helmet and go play football or basketball or whatever sport. 
you know, these are human beings who deal with real human emotions. And, you know, I, I hope people remember that. I mean, in a week, I mean, I, I mean, I think back to this time a year ago when Ohio state lost in the first round and people were telling EJ Liddell to kill himself after he played a great game and Ohio state lost to oral Roberts. So, you know, a timely reminder that I truly hope people will, will, will keep in mind, you know, regardless of what happens this week in the NCAA tournament or, you know, whatever happens in the football season in the fall, you know, I hope people will keep these things in mind that, you know, the athletes see the things that are, are said to them on, on social media. And, you know, you know, Harry had made it clear in the past that that was something that had bothered him that getting comments from people telling him to, you know, go kill himself. And so I hope this will remind people that, you know, just because they're football players at Ohio state doesn't mean they don't have human emotions. And that when, you know, they are treated in that way, that it can affect them just the same way that it would affect any of us. And so, you know, I'm very glad, very glad that Harry Miller is okay. And, and, and truly, truly sincerely hoping that, you know, everything continues to go well for him moving forward. And that, you know, stepping away from football proves to be a, a good decision for him and, and something that helps him uh, to live a more stable, happier life. Um, but, you know, just a, a very stark reminder of, you know, why mental health is so important and why it's something that Ryan Day has placed such an emphasis on because Ryan Day might have literally saved Harry Miller's life because of the fact that he has created a culture where Harry felt that he could go to his head coach and tell him about these dark thoughts that he was having. Yeah. And of course, if you know, Ryan Day's history, I mean, his, his top cause outside off the football field is, you know, breaking mental health stigmas and, and, and placing a lot of emphasis on those things. If you haven't read what Harry Miller wrote, I would strongly suggest you do so because it's extremely powerful, potent, very well written. Of course, if you, if you've ever, if you've ever heard of Harry Miller, you know, talking, watch an interview with him, you already know how much of a deep thinker he is, how well read he is, you know, quotes, poetry and, and literature all the time. And so it's really a, a, an amazing, you know, piece of writing that he, you know, produced there in, in, in expressing what was going on with him. And, and I would just echo the same sentiments that you said in terms of, you know, very happy that, that he found those resources and that he's doing okay. But of course, mental health, you know, it's, it's a constant battle. So of course, wish the best for him and, uh, moving forward with all of those struggles. There's admittedly no good way to segue out of that conversation, but you know, did want to talk a little bit about what, you know, we, we learned from those wide receiver and running backs interviews last week. And, you know, I think, you know, one thing that certainly stood out to me, we did talk about it briefly last week too, but uh, the hype around Jaden Ballard right now, it, it seems to be real. Uh, there seems to be a real uh, belief that Jaden Ballard is somebody who can make an impact this year. And, you know, I think that's something that's very intriguing to me because we saw Marvin Harrison play last year. We saw Mecca Buka play last year. We really didn't see Jaden Ballard play last year, but you know, I think he's a guy, especially when you think about Chris Olave leaving and, and Jaden playing that similar Z role that Chris Olave played Olave being such a great deep threat for Ohio state. I think Ballard's a guy who has the potential to, to 
be part of replacing that within the offense. I mean, I, he always gets compared to Devin Smith. He was literally asked about being compared to Devin Smith three different times by three different reporters. One of them being me uh, during his interview session uh, at Ohio state last week. And so that's going to be a very popular comparison uh, largely because of the fact that they both went to Maslin and they both wore number nine, but also because I think they have a similar game in terms of being big, fast guys who, who can go up and make plays on the deep ball. And, you know, again, Ohio State's absolutely loaded with talent in that receiver room. So there's a lot of guys that are going to be hyped up. There's only going to be so many touches to go around. We know Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be on the field all the time. We know Marvin Harrison, Emeka Buka, Julian Fleming are all candidates uh, for bigger roles this year. But it seems like Jaden Ballard is, is somebody to watch in that equation too. Somebody who's making a real push to where they're going to want to find a way to get him on the field. A couple of things that stood out to me from that interview session was, first of all, Julian Fleming said it's his, has been his healthiest spring so far as a Buckeye, which of course is a very positive sign. He hasn't quite put it all together in, in the manner that a lot of people expected him to as a you know five-star talent coming in quite yet, but maybe having an extended period of time in which he's actually has his health uh, you know, under wraps that that will help him be able to, you know, launch into that that status this year with his best season to date. Another thing was Cameron Babb, of course. We talked about him, I think, on last week's podcast, just because we had seen him running around and looking healthy on the practice field, which was something we hadn't seen in quite some time. And then we got to actually talk to him for, for a very long time the other day last week. And he said, he told me that he's feeling no ill effects pretty much from having those four ACL tears, which again, it, it just, it's every time you say it, it just sounds miraculous that someone could have actually suffered that many ACL tears and hasn't given up and is, is still still going. Of course, he's a very spiritual, re- religious person, and that's been a big part of his kind of positivity and in, in, in staying, uh, you know, with it here for Ohio State. And I'm I'm just very curious to see will he have an actual role on this team? Because you take one look at him and you're like, man, that's a that's that's an athlete right there. And, you know, will he actually be able to have some kind of role? You're not going to expect him to catch 50 balls or something like that, but could he have some role in the Ohio State offense this season? That's going to be something that's going to be a very interesting storyline to watch. Obviously, a captain last season for the Buckeyes. His leadership's a big, you know, a part of his whole deal, but can he also put it together on the field? That remains to be seen. Yeah, you have to admire Cam's positivity because to go through four ACL tears, I mean – I think a lot of people would uh, probably have given up by now and probably have decided, you know, maybe it's time to do something other than football. And I have no idea what to expect from him from as a player. I mean, just how could you like know when a guy's had four ACL tears, like how could you know whether he's going to be what he used to be? But there seems to be like a real genuine belief within people in the program that he can make an impact if he can stay healthy. I mean, that, that there, there seems to be that feeling. And again, if, if he can, you know, then add him to the list of guys we just talked about with Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison, Emeka Buka, Jaden Bauer. Now you throw Cam Babin there, you know, they have the potential to be just as loaded at wide receiver this year, even without Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, because of all this talent they've accumulated in the room, not to even mention the, the freshmen that are going to be in the room. And so, uh, you know, it, you know, I, I think practically, like if you're Ohio state, like you can't necessarily rely on Cam Bab at this point, cause you just don't know, but 
I think they are going to give him a real chance if he's healthy to, to earn playing time. And if he does, and he can become the player, he was believed to be as a recruit, you know, that could be a big bonus to what's already a really loaded wide receiver unit. 100%. And we, we also got to talk to the running backs as well with Travion Henderson, uh, Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor. Um, I didn't spend as much time uh, talking to the running backs, Dan. If you have any big takeaways from that uh, session, I know Evan, it, it's just interesting to me that, that Evan Pryor continues to get, you know, talk from coaches as a guy that's really improved over the offseason. Um, it, it was interesting hearing Mayan Williams break down the, the difference in, in running styles between the three of them. Mayan, Mayan saying that he's the, the bruiser of the group. And, you know, you can tell when you look at Mayan Williams' stature, I don't, I'm not sure how exactly his, his body has changed, but every time you see him, you're like, man, that's a, that's a beefy guy right there, a low center of gravity. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how much more of a role he has this year and if he can stay healthy as a, as a complimentary back to Travion Henderson, who will obviously be coming, coming in as that bell cow number one guy. Yeah, I didn't really talk to the running backs much either because there were like literally six guys out at once. And, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, I feel like right now there's just there's more questions at wide receiver than there are at running back. Like I think at running back, like it's you pretty much expect that it's going to be, you know, Travion Henderson leading the depth chart and Mayan Williams behind him and then Evan Pryor behind them. But I do think Evan Pryor is an interesting guy. I think he's a guy who who offers a, an intriguing skill set as somebody who can you know, catch passes out of a backfield and, and, and do some different things in those guys. You know, he, he was a guy who played some receiver in high school. He talked about that himself as something he can bring to the offense. And so I'm interested to see how they might utilize him this year, you know, cause I think that's one thing that I, I don't necessarily think Ohio state has done that great a job of at running back over the years is, you know, I think a lot of times they've just kind of rotated guys it, a little bit more haphazardly than to say, you know, playing this guy in this situation and this guy in this situation. I think there's been opportunities where, you know, maybe you should, you know, use a guy as like a third down back or, you know, in a more situational role. And we haven't really seen them ever really commit to that. So I don't really know what to expect there, but I do think Evan Pryor is a guy that if they want to, you know, have a situational guy, who's kind of more of a weapon in the passing game. I think Evan Pryor, has the capability of being that kind of guy. Dan, let's go around the oval here real quick as we kind of wrap up here and touch on some topics in other Ohio State sports. You were just at the women's hockey game this past weekend. That team is headed to the Frozen Four. Um, You know, how was that whole experience? And, you know, what's going on for the team this week as things progress in their postseason? Well, it was long because it was a double overtime game, but it was a lot of fun to watch. It really wasn't my first time ever actually going to a Ohio state women's hockey game in person at uh, the OSU ice rink, which is too small of a venue for um, having an NCAA tournament game. That might be a conversation for another day about, you know, why uh, they're playing that game in a rink that holds less than 800 people. Uh, But it was a great environment in there, but the fans were really into it Um, and just watching them. I mean, they're a fun team to watch. You know, I would just say, people this weekend i know you know a lot of you're gonna be watching basketball all weekend but uh this team they play at 7 p.m friday against yale that game will be on espn plus if you have that and then uh if they advance past that the national championship game is at 4 p.m sunday i I would encourage people 
check it out. Uh, watch those games because uh, they're a lot of fun to watch. I, I really enjoyed uh, watching them. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a very different experience covering a hockey game because you know, I'm so used to like in a, in a football game and a basketball game, like, you know, there's always scoring and all that. Like if you're writing like a recap of a game, like there's always different things you can write where like when I'm watching a hockey game, like when it got to overtime, it's like, well, you know, one of the teams is going to win for free. So I really was just watching the game. Like I, I was just watching the game, like waiting for someone to score a goal and then uh, finish my story and publish it because there's not that much that you can really like write uh, until that goal actually happens. And so it kind of gave me the opportunity to just kind of watch. And it, it's a lot of fun to watch. Like uh, that's a, a really talented team. Uh, they're definitely capable of winning of a national title this weekend. We'll see if it happens. And uh, if they do, we'll talk about it next week, but uh, uh, certainly, you know, they're having a great run and, you know, I would encourage people to, uh, if you feel like taking a break from watching basketball at any point this weekend, uh, check that out. Cause it should be fun to watch. Ohio State women's basketball team also starts their NCAA tournament run this weekend as a number six seed. They'll play either Missouri state or Florida state in the first round at two 30 on Saturday. After that, if they get a win, they will face a potential second-round matchup with number three, LSU. Dan, how far can this team get, and can they go deeper than the men's team can in their respective NCAA tournaments? Yeah, it feels like a very similar situation in multiple ways. You know, one being the fact that you know they should be favored to win their first-round game. Uh, they're probably an underdog if they get to the second round. Uh, also, some similarities between Chris Holtman and Kevin McGuff, where. Uh, their teams have not always delivered in March. Uh, you know, McGuff has uh, consistently gotten to the tournament, has had a lot of regular season success. They just won uh, the the regular season Big Ten title this year, but uh, they haven't had a lot of NCAA tournament success. And so, uh, you know, I think, again, you know, he's kind of in that position where, you know, if he gets to the Sweet 16 this weekend, you know, that's a success. If he doesn't, there's probably questions about, you know, why can't Ohio State, uh, women's basketball, you know, make a deep run and take advantage when they have uh, these really good teams. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a really good question. Who, who goes further in the NCAA tournament, the Ohio state men or the Ohio state women, I'm going to side for women, because like I said, I do have the men losing uh, in the first round. I, I do think the women will win at least one game. Uh, it's, it's hard to predict right now because we don't even know who they're going to play. This is the first year that the women's tournament also has a first four. So they're not going to know until after Missouri state and Florida state play on, on Thursday, who they're going to be playing at two 30 PM Saturday. And that game will be on ESPNU. But I do think uh, Ohio state will win at least one. I, um, I, I don't know enough about LSU to really predict, you know, how that game might go. I do know that, you know, they have Kim Mulkey who's been a very, a successful coach in women's college basketball and is now the coach there. So I would think that's going to be a, a tough matchup for Ohio state, but you know, I, you know, this is a team that I think you could argue should be seated higher than they are. You know, I think the fact that they lost uh, in the semifinals of the big 10 tournament probably hurt fair seed a little bit, but you know, I think they, I think they have a legitimate argument as a team that could have been, you know, a four or a five seed. So a little bit tougher draw, being a six seed, you know, and, and the way it works in the women's tournament, the first and second round games are played on home sites. So they'll be playing at LSU, uh, having to beat LSU on its home court. And that'll be a tough assignment, but uh, I think they got a chance. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd probably pick LSU. I'd probably pick 
you know, Ohio state to lose in the second round, but I, I think they've got a, a chance. I'd probably say they have a better chance of, of getting to the sweet 16 uh, than the men do though. You know, I don't rule it out for either. Yeah. I'll, I'll sit on the fence a little bit here, stay neutral and say that the, the men and women are going to finish with the, basically the same run, which is they're both going to win their first round matchup and drop their second round matchup, but Hey, anything's possible. Both teams could make a, long, a deeper run than that in the end. Well, we will see whether we will have any more basketball, more Ohio State basketball to look forward to next week, or whether we'll just be uh, wrapping up a season that has already included uh, in the first weekend. So I uh, hope you'll join us again next week. Uh, whether Ohio State wins or loses, again, uh, we'll have uh, plenty of both basketball and football talk once again on next week's show, regardless. So enjoy the March Madness. Enjoy the first weekend of the tournament, and we'll talk to you again soon.